Enjoy your time down there. Um, if you don't know me, if I haven't met you yet, my name is Mike Becker. I'm the director of ministry here at uh, Renovation Church. And we are getting towards the end of our journey in Romans. We're actually going to be closing out chapter 15 today. Um, and then we've got one more chapter to go in the next few weeks. Uh, but uh, I grew up in Syracuse, and in 2006, uh, no, 2005, we moved uh, to Rochester as I got involved um, in youth ministry there, and then we moved back here in 2016 as we took a position here, um, and we've been loving it ever since. And we, when we moved back in 2016, we had, my wife and I had a, a pretty significant conversation right from the get-go, and the idea was we really wanted to make sure that we invested in our community, um, and, and not just what our, we did as a church body, but kind of adopted something on our own, did some, some things, served the community, was involved in the community, not, uh, not instead of what we might do as a church body, but in addition to it. Um, and really, I just, I just wanted to be careful not to just depend on what we might do as a church, but to really own something and be involved in something. And for some reason, uh, my son's school, Allen Road Elementary, which is right down the road here, that seemed to have been um, on my heart a lot and really came to my mind as a place that I could be part of and serve. And initially, Mike uh, Maisie, one of the elders here, uh, he tried to make contact with the principal and uh, didn't really get much of a response. We're just trying to figure out what ways can we serve you? How can we be of assistance? And didn't really get anywhere with that. So I just started ended up. I just started uh, going to the PTO meetings and just trying to involve myself that way. And over time, they um, asked if I would be interested in being the apparel coordinator. And so they invited me into the PTO board and said, "Would you mind doing, um, you know, accepting this role?" And I gladly did. And so I've been doing that uh, this school year. And um, I don't say um, in a prideful way, obviously, but in one year I've seen some significant uh, fruit from my presence being part of the school. And at, at the very first school event, we didn't even have apparel yet to sell. I show up and I'm like, hey, I don't, we, don't, we, don't, we don't have apparel yet. It's kind of early. Um, what, what do you want me to do? And they said, well, we could use some help in the kitchen, um, cleaning dishes and trays as they get used, and you can clean them and bring them back out because we'll probably run out. So we got to keep having them cleaned up and brought back out. So I'm like, great, I'll do that. I get to the kitchen. When she said we could use some help in that, I thought there'd be other people there, and it ended up just being me. So I don't know who else was going to do this until I volunteered. But So I'm in the kitchen. I'm working my butt off. And um, they obviously didn't know me very well because my wife will tell you that when I clean the dishes, she has to come back and clean the dishes after I clean the dishes. So um, they're not actually clean. And so... Uh, anywho, uh, as things are slowing down, I end up uh, just kind of, it's, it's slowing down, it's not as busy, so I'm, on, I'm wandering around just introducing myself to people, trying to get to know um, some of the people there. And so I see the principal, and so I go up and um, I said, hey, Mr. London, how you doing? I'm Mike Becker, and just want to introduce myself, and um, we got talking, and, and he, he uh, told me that he used to go to this church when it was a Nazarene church as a kid, and he had really fond memories of it. And, um, and then, and then the, the God moment happened. Very first event, PTO board, very first event. God's like dropping a bomb right in my lap. So he, Mr. London kind of looks around in the middle of our conversation just to see who's in earshot. And then he leans in and he goes, I feel like the Lord's wooing me back. And I go, <laughs> I was like, thank you, Lord. 
So little by little, I've been having conversations with him, um, and um, we've kind of become pretty good friends, um, and we um, just getting kind of chummy. And so that was a really cool moment of knowing, just kind of confirming, God confirming, this is, this is a good place for you. This is, I, I want to use you in, in this way. Um, and then a few months um, in, um, a tragedy happened with the PTO president. She lost her brother to a drug overdose. And um, she calls me one night, and she says, in tears, she says, um, Mike, I don't know who else to ask, and, um, or, and I don't know who else I would trust. Would you officiate my brother's funeral? And I was like, absolutely I will. And um, I, was, I was honored and humbled that she would ask me to do that. And so there's these two things, these two big moments where, um, you know, God is... God seems to be using me in this way. And, and obviously, I don't share that to puff you up. We're going to kind of circle back to this as we get into the message because it's going to make sense why I'm even sharing this with you. But um, uh, having my presence there has, has been really, really valuable. I'll tell you what, I don't care who's wearing apparel in that place. I just want to have a gospel presence. And so if that's the way that I can do that, then I'm happy to serve um, in that way. And I bet many of you could share right now, you could share stories of how God's using you in different areas of your life, whether it's at home, at work, at school, at wherever, wherever you are and whatever you're doing, I'm sure that you could share um, moments where God has, has used you and is using you um, right now. Uh, so as we get to the end of this series through Romans, which has been a journey, we've been, doing, we've been in Romans for quite a while, taking a few breaks here and there, um, we're going to close out chapter 15 today. So let's read the text and see where it takes us uh, today. Romans 15, 22 through 33 says this, This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room to work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I have enjoyed your company for a while. At present, however, I am going to Jerusalem, bringing aid to the saints. For Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution for the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. For they were pleased to do it, and indeed they owe it to them. For if the Gentiles have come to share in their spiritual blessings, they ought also be of service to them in material blessings. When therefore I have completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by the Lord, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So Paul is preparing the Roman people, the Roman Christians, uh, for his visit to them, which he has been longing for for quite some time. Clearly, he's excited about this. And he been, begins by confirming that he's wanted to be with them for quite a while, but there's been some things that have hindered him from coming. And we have to look at the previous verses to get an idea of this, but to lead into this verse, it says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, not where Christ has been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation. But as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, 
and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel in areas that have never been reached to people that have never heard it. That's what he was setting out to do. And it seems like those regions, wherever those regions were that were on his mind, have been accomplished. He's done it. And now he feels free to go and visit his Roman brothers and sisters in Christ. However, before he does this, he has one thing he has to do. He has to personally deliver an offering for Christians in Jerusalem from Christians in Greece. Now, it may kind of go gloss over the surface initially, um, but one of the things I do as I prepare for a sermon is I try to read the text, the passage that I'm going to preach multiple times over and over and over. Just when I get to the bottom, I start again, and I just read it and read it and read it, and I just want to see what's on the sur- what's going on, what is happening in this passage before I crack open any commentaries or any resources. I want to see just who's involved, what's going on, so I can get familiar with the text. You know, are there, are there truths that I'm supposed to believe and adopt as my own? Are there commands I'm supposed to obey? Are there sins that I should be confessing and repenting from and abandoning? Um, is it theological in nature and it's trying to deepen my roots in the gospel? Maybe it's super practical and it's calling me out of one way of life and calling me into another way of life. Um, but I want to kind of get an idea of what that is. And admittedly, when I first started reading this passage, I'm like, how in the world am I going to get a whole sermon out of this? Like, hey guys, he's going to Rome, and he's bringing some money to some people. Let's pray. <laughs> that's, that's all I could come up with at first. In fact, I showed my wife, because I talked to her about it, and she's like, well, let me read it. And so she's reading it, and she was on her way out the door somewhere, and she goes, well, good luck, and left. <laughs> so, didn't get much help. Um, thankfully, as I kept reading, and as I kept going, um, a few questions did emerge, and one of those questions was, is why does Paul feel like he has to personally bring the money to um, Jerusalem? Why can't he give it to someone else to do for him if he's so excited to go to Rome, if he's so pumped to see them, why wouldn't he give that job to somebody else? It's not a big job. I'm sure that there are people that he could trust with the money. I'm sure he's not worried that there's embezzlement issues going on. Um, I'm sure that there's people that would be willing to do it, Can you imagine that they've just collected from multiple churches all of this money that they're going to bring to struggling Christians in Jerusalem? And if Paul were to say, hey, I'd love for you to go and take this to them, that would be an honor. People would be probably lining up to do that. Do you mean I get to see their faces when we show up? I get to see the fruit of our labor? I get to meet them in person? I get to be the person that does this? So that was the first question of why is Paul... Why does Paul feel like he has to personally do this? And then the second question that led into that is, why is he telling them this? Why does Paul feel the need to tell the Romans this? Why is he warning, like, hey, I'm really excited to come see you. I'm really pumped to come and visit you. You're going to be a blessing to me. And, but first, I got to go do this thing. And he gives them some details, too. He gives them quite a few details of why he's going and what he's hoping to accomplish. And so I think that this offering is really what Paul is trying to um, uh, display to the Roman people in preparation of his visit. We're going to get into this. I actually learned a lot from, from studying this that I, didn't, I was not aware of going into this passage. Um, now remember, uh, the book of Romans, we're in the book of Romans, so it's an entire letter, the whole letter of 16 chapters, was written to the Romans specifically, for the Romans especially. So he means them to hear this. 
This is not, he's not wasting words here. He's not just letting them know. It's not like we would see on Facebook, like, look what I had for dinner today. You know, look what I did. He, he, we just kind of throw a bunch of life stuff. He's not just letting them know just to kind of tell them. He wants this is meaningful to them. It's intended to be meaningful. So let's, let's start with the first question. What compelled Paul to go personally? Well, we got to look at the offering itself. So we get details about this offering in 2 Corinthians chapters 8 and 9. Um, and the offering came from Gentile churches in Greece, and it's going to suffering Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And there are several purposes that we see outlined in those chapters. Number one, it highlights the transformed lives of the Gentiles. Previously, the Jewish people were the people that God was using, people that God was, um, they were his people that were bringing forth um, the will of God. And now the, the, the gospel was presented to everyone to the whole world. And Gentiles were now, now Gentile, in case you're not familiar with the term, all it means is you're not ethnically Jewish. I remember, I don't know how many times I heard Gentile growing up as a Christian. I didn't, I didn't know why they were calling them that. Was that a bad, were they mocking them? It just means you're not Jewish. That's what that means. And so um, in, in, this, in this time of our history, we see Gentile churches caring for Jewish churches. So it's highlighting transformed hearts of the Gentiles. Um, number two, it provided a much-needed much practical relief um, at a time when poor Jewish believers needed it most. We know from Acts 11.28 um, in the Bible, as well as there's a, uh, lots of historians then that um, outside of the Bible, one of them is Josephus, and he talks about this as well, that there was a famine between A.D. 40, uh, 44 and A.D. 48. And so this famine is probably very likely a main cause of this financial struggle for the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem. And so lastly, and probably the biggest thing that Paul had on his heart and mind as he takes this to them, is that it served to unite the Jews and Gentiles in the church as one united body. No longer two separate, we're not looking at this um, as Jew and Gentile, you're Christian. And so this was going to be a big deal. And so first we see right in the verse that he talks to the Romans, we see that he sees this as a debt, that I'm taking this financial aid to saints in Jerusalem because the Gentile churches owe this to them. That's a significant statement because Paul considered the Gentile Christians as debtors to the Jews because of a few different reasons. One, in Romans 3.2, he says that the Jews were entrusted with the very words of God. The only reason, Gentiles, you even know who Jesus is, you even know about the gospel, you even know God at all, is because the Jews have been, have been bringing that message to you. Second, Romans 9.5, Christ himself came from the Jews. From the Jews is what they say, quote, the nourishing sap of the olive root. Romans 11.17, they get their spiritual nourishment from the Jewish communities. And by faith, the Gentiles have been rewarded with all these benefits. They don't have to submit to the, all the same ceremonial laws anymore. And there's a lot of things that they get to do they get access to, they are rewarded with because of their faith in Christ, because of the Jewish people that have historically come before them, that they owe them this gift. See, the Gentiles had received spiritual wealth from the Jews, and Paul sees fit to say that the Jews are going to receive material wealth from the Gentiles. Second, Paul, so he sees it as a debt. Second, we see that he sees it as fruit, it says that they were pleased to do it. If you noticed in the verse that we read, um, he says, I'm bringing aid to the saints 
um, for Macedonia and Achaia have been pleased to make some contribution to the poor among the saints at Jerusalem. So they're pleased. They're not, he's, he's not coercing them into it. He's not manipulating them to give it. He's not robbing them of it. He's not um, putting on some show to, to um, try to get them to give money. They are gladly and proudly giving to this hurting people. It was the natural result of their transformed lives in light of the work of Christ and a byproduct of their walk with God. And Paul was, he seemed to want to display this for the Jewish people as a display of look at the fruit of your message. Look at what is happening across the world. People that would have previously had no business serving you in this way have been so changed by the God, have been so changed by the message of Christ that they are sending you money to help you. This word pleased actually means that they pref- to prefer something and to bring pleasure. They delighted in this. It brought them great pleasure to give away their money to people that they would maybe never meet. When the Spirit of God flows through a church, generosity is usually not an issue. Supporting gospel initiatives locally, regionally, nationally, globally kind of comes with the package. It's usually not neglected or worse, avoided. We see this lived out here. And third, Paul Paul saw this as a bond, and we've kind of talked about this already, but Paul wanted to bring about, under God, a closer bond between the mother church in Jerusalem and the daughter churches across the rest of the empire. And unfortunately, there were still Jews who disagreed with Paul's message. In fact, there was a group of people that would often follow, follow Paul around, and when he would build up a church and start a church and build up leaders and then leave and go to another place, these people would try to swoop in and distort his message and call him out on things, and they would lie and deceive and, 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 and try to get them to pull away from what Paul had already kind of hammered out for them um, biblically. In fact, the whole book of Galatians is written to this, um, is written about this for that church there. So he wants this to show both groups, these groups that should not really be doing this, what the gospel is now doing across the world. So why did the Romans have to know about this? Why was, so now we understand why this is important to Paul. He sees it as a debt. He sees it as the fruit of, the Jew, of, of, of the, historically the Jews bringing these messages and doing and fulfilling the will of God. And then he sees it as a bond that's supposed to say something pretty significant to the rest of the world. And why did the Romans have to know about it? Well, first, the Roman church had both Jews and Gentiles in it. So this would speak volumes to them. They would see this as a, as a gigantic encouragement to them who, are, who, are, who exist in both Jew and Gentile circles. Behind all of this is really the principle of interdependency. Partnering with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, regardless of race, ethnicity, origin, gender, economics, social status. All of those things are now gone. You're not Jew and Gentile anymore. You're Christian. You're in Christ. That's how you identify. That's how you identify. This is significant. What's remarkable and easily missed is that while Paul does feel free to go to Rome, if you noticed it, it's really easy for this to slip by. Actually, it did for a while. Um, 
until I got into it and really started to study. But it's only a pit stop on the way to Spain. So even though he's really excited to go see Rome and go see his brothers and sisters there, he tells them, guys, my final destination is going to be Spain. I'm just passing through you guys so that I can get to Spain. But I'm really excited to see you, but I'm not going to, I'm not, you know, I'm not starting a family there. We're not building a house. We're just passing through, um, and I'm hoping to have encouragement. And if you noticed, in fact, scholars believe um, that this is one of his primary reasons in writing to the Romans in the first place and visiting them personally was to solicit their support in his journey to Spain. He actually says, as I pass through, I'm hoping that you will help me get there. If you notice right in the beginning of those verses, which I said is easy to kind of pass by, but it says, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain and to be helped on my journey there by you. I'm hoping when I get to you that you're going to help send me on my way to Spain. I, help, I hope that you're going to lock arms with me and send me, send me off. He's looking for financial support. Clearly at the end of the verse, he's looking for prayerful support, which we'll get into. But he's probably even asking and maybe even seeking others that might want to join him on the journey. Might, might there be people in Rome that want to follow him? And build, and build that church in Spain and preach the gospel there. Um, Romans is clearly packed. If you've read Romans um, at all, you'll notice right off the bat that it is deep. It's theological and doctrinal in nature. And um, it's the most doctrinally rich and theologically deep book we have in the, in the New Testament. Um, and those same scholars would say that the book is intended to strengthen their understanding, the Roman understanding of the gospel, so that when Paul shows up, they're prepared to support him. That the people that might come after him and the people that might want to swindle and distort his message, that he would have built such a strong understanding of what the true gospel is, that they would fail in their attempts to do that. And when he shows up, there would be this, this connection that no one could break because he has written an entire letter explaining this is the truth of the gospel. This is how glorious God is. This is how this all works out in real life. This is who the God is that saves you. This is how Christ saves. This is why Christ saves. And then when he shows up, they get to celebrate together and enjoy each other's company. And he's hoping that they will send him off. His detour to Jerusalem is important now, his, this, is why, this is why I think, and, and I agree with the scholars that say that this is why he's actually telling them about the offering that he's bringing to Jerusalem. It's important then for them to see because it's imperative that they get a glimpse of the gospel taking root in the lives of people, causing them to see beyond their own view and their own needs and caring for other Christians and other churches across the globe. Because he's going to want their support for other churches. He's showing them this is what it looks like when globally people are unified and sending and caring and, and, and supporting and providing for each other that you may never see. He's basically saying, hey, all you Romans, just like I'm taking all these resources freely and joyfully given from Gentile Christians in Greece to help this poor and struggling Jewish Christians in Jerusalem ride out this severe famine, I'm hoping that you will likewise support me and send me off to Spain. Much like Greece provided much-needed gifts to Jerusalem, Rome will be known as providing me with provisions to continue claiming the gospel in Spain. Now, please don't overanalyze this. It's easy to look at this and say, so you're saying the only reason Paul wrote this book was to try to get them to give him money. No, I'm not saying that. 
but I am saying that he knew he needed to build them up. He knew he needed to help. He does need their help. And I think that it's actually a significant thing that he's asking them, I'm going to need your help, guys. This is how this stuff happens. So I am going to need your help to get there. And I want to show you what it looks like. He's not puffing them up or flattering them simply to squeeze as much money out of them as possible. He genuinely, clearly loves them. And he is genuinely excited to go see them. Geographically, it makes sense, all the sense in the world, to go to Rome on a stop to Spain. And actually, his trip to Jerusalem will be in the opposite direction. So when he says, I got to go do this, he's saying, like, I'm leaving the, I'm really excited about you, but this is so important that I'm going to go out of my way and go the opposite direction to deliver this gift before I even come to you. Now, the three verses, or the final three verses of the text um, are actually really significant because Paul appeals to them by Christ in the love of the Spirit to what it says to strive together with him in prayer to God on his behalf. Now, the words strive together, they suggest an athlete that gives everything they have to win whatever they're doing, to win the competition. Everything they have, they hold nothing back. And so it best describes really a wrestling together, that we would wrestle this together, that we would fight for something together, that we would get in the nitty-gritty together, that I'm, I'm with you and you're with me, and together we're going to make some really amazing things go down. Now, it doesn't mean that we should fight with God to get what we want, but it rather means that we should be vigilant and not... He's calling them to not be casual in your prayer life. Get on your knees and pray for me. Now, you know he's not messing around because the stuff that he, he, asks, he asks for prayer for, if we look closely at it, um, clearly shows where his heart's at and why he's asking them to do this. So the first thing he says is, pray that I might be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea. And this literally means the disobedient, these people that wanted to wreck what he was doing, these people that wanted nothing but to distort um, his message that he was preaching all over the place. Um, he, wanted them to, he wanted to be delivered from them. He wanted um, them to go away. And we actually see this prayer answered in Acts 21 through 26. Um, we don't have time to get into it right now, but his life was protected, but his liberty wasn't, if, we, if you were to read that. And secondly, he says, pray that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints. Now, here's where, this, this really paints a picture of why he wants to go, why he feels he needs to take this to the Jews in Jerusalem. Paul knows that the Jewish Christians in Jerusalem will only accept this gift if they grasp that they are now in fellowship with the Gentiles. Something has been offered to you. And there's a risk that they'll reject it because of its association with Gentile churches. And he feels personally responsible to make sure that they don't think that way. That they don't reject this gift that is for them from these other churches that have, been, that have gladly and proudly given it kind of starts to make sense why this is important for him to do and why it's important for Rome, Roman Christians to hear. And then lastly, he says, pray so that God's will may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. And so he's basically saying, I don't want any more distractions. 
I'm really excited to come, so pray for my safe travel to get there after I deliver this gift. I pray that I make it because I want to see you. That's how we, we know this is more than just money. I don't even think that needs to be said for those that know Paul through his writings, but clearly he's excited to see them and he's hoping that they will send him off. So how should this affect us? What do we do with text like this? Well, I think there's a takeaway that's kind of subtle but pretty profound, and it's that stories of grace incite acts of grace. He's sharing with them this story of grace. Look at what these churches are doing here for this church here that have no business doing that, don't seem to need to, but yet are joyfully submitting to what God is doing in their lives and giving those resources away. Look at what they're doing. He's using this as an example to say, isn't this amazing? This is what we do as now as united believers in Christ. Not separated by all the other things that we want to claim to be separated by. Not living up to some sort of standard that we have but not have. It's, we are together united in Christ. You know, when missionaries visit churches, they usually don't use scripture verses to try to convince you to help them. Not saying they shouldn't. Actually, they do, they do begin to do that. But they tell a lot of stories so that you can see and understand what's going on in their midst. And they add names to it. They just don't say, well, God's doing all this great stuff. They add a name. We have a guy named Bob. And Bob used to be like this. Sorry, Bob. You're an easy target. You got a lot of issues. So, Just kidding. Love you, Bob. Um, Bob used to be like this. And now Christ has changed his heart. And now Bob's like this. And there's this huge story that goes on. And we get, we get a glimpse into what God is doing. In fact, um, I think... That the, it is so unfortunate. This is something that kind of came to my mind as I was reading this and, and how encouraging it must have been for the Roman Christians to hear this, to, be, um, to think through this is what it looks like. This, this was an act of grace on behalf of one church to another. And I think it's unfortunate that we sometimes withhold things that we've been compelled to do by Christ because we fear that we're going to come across as bragging. In fact, if you notice in the beginning, I actually said I don't mean to puff myself up or I said something like that um, because I wanted to make sure that it's funny that I even needed to kind of give that, that statement so that you didn't think I was just trying to make myself look good like I'm some fantastic Christian who does all this great stuff in our community. But I think we withhold from each other these grace stories because we feel like maybe it's going to sound like I'm coming across as arrogant. Maybe this is going to sound boastful. And I think it could, if we, depending on how we say it. But I think we rob each other of the joy of what God is doing in our hearts when we withhold that kind of, those kind of stories. What is God doing in your life? How is God changing you? What is God doing in your midst? How, how is God using you in different places? Man, I, I think we, we exemplify the gospel and we give glory to God when we share those things with people. Imagine if one of your, I, I was thinking of this, imagine if one of your friends simply said this, man, our next door neighbor, yeah, he had this major surgery and their family's kind of out for a month. He's going to be, he's going to be out of it for a month. He can't get up. He's going to have to, his home care, nurses coming to take care of him. And so we'd, we met as a family and we just said, you know, we're going to, we're going to bring them a meal every other day. And we're going to tell them that if their kids want to come over to our house a few days a week, just to give them a break, we're going to do that. And anytime they need a ride, we're going to bring them. We're going to, because 
we're, we're going to help them and all of the, we're going to basically adopt this family. There's no way that in my heart, I would not be like, oh, okay, oh, yeah, you're good, oh, okay. Oh, I guess you're good, goody, goody, two-shoes Christian. You know, I wouldn't think like that. I would think, wow, actually, it would probably convict me. I'd probably start to think, like, I don't even know my neighbors that well, right? Like, I got to get off Netflix. You're, you're actually doing things the gospel says to do. I, I, I'm worried about catching up on whatever shows I'm watching. You know, that's the kind of impact that would have. That's the kind of impact that this is supposed to have for the Roman church as Paul prepares them. Paul, this whole section is Paul preparing them for his arrival because he has a departure in mind as well. As a point of encouragement to you, um, if there's something that stands out about Renovation Church, it's your generosity. It, re- it really is. Um, we did an event a few weeks ago for our trip to Scotland. We're taking seven of us are going over to Scotland to encourage a, a launch team that's planting a church there and help them and serve them in any way that we can. We're leaving in July. And um, we had a, a huge dinner here, and 88 of you showed up, and we, along with corporate sponsors, raised over $13,000. A little church in North Syracuse raised $13,000 to give to a church that you will probably never meet any of the people from except for Chris Davidson who happened to be here. That says things. That says something about you and not that you should brag that you did something, but we should brag that God did something. God is working in our midst and doing things in our heart that makes us want to give our money away like that. That's powerful. We get to have an we have an excess that we get to bring to them as well. All of our team is covered because of you, and we also have more that we get to bring to them and say, "This is for you." They are in one of the poorest communities in Scotland, by the way. the The vision of Twenty Schemes is to plant twenty churches in twenty of the poorest areas of Scotland, so they are knee deep in poverty. The people they're serving can't; they don't have anything to give. And our gift to them is going to be a blessing just like this was. That's something that I think we're really strong in, to be honest with you. Why should we, a bunch of suburban peeps with white picket fences in North Syracuse, care about schemes in Scotland? Because of Jesus. That's why we care. That's why it matters to us. Nobody was guilted into giving anything. You gave freely and joyfully, and that's amazing. And again, I don't say that, I always feel like I have to say this, I don't say that boastfully, except for what Christ is clearly doing in our lives. In closing, a couple challenges for you. Number one. I want you to think of ways that God is using you and I want you to tell someone about it. You know what we're really good at? We're really good at sometimes telling people what we're struggling with if we trust the person enough. That's usually a little easier to come out, right? Yeah, I'm really, I'm not, I'm not whatever enough. I'm not reading, I'm just struggling reading the Bible. I'm not, man, I don't love my neighbors and I don't do this. I don't, I eat too much. That's mine. I eat too much. 
been saying that for 25 years. <laughs> I do this, I do that. I don't do this, I don't do that. But you know what we really neglect? We neglect this, you know what God is using me in? Or you know what God is doing in my heart? You know what, I'm, what he's really speaking to me? Do you know what happened at work the other day? I had this conversation with. Those are things that encourage us. So I'm going to challenge you to think of how is God using you? How has God used you recently? And as a gentle poke, don't hate me. We're still friends after this, right? As a gentle poke, if you can't think of any ways that God is using you, Recently, it might be worth some self-reflection to see what are your, where's your time going and what are you worried about? What are you occupied with? Not to throw guilt on you, just to allow the Spirit to convict you, to think through it and maybe birth some action out of that. Secondly, I would call you um, to strive together with somebody um, in your life who you trust. What are, what are the things that you're struggling with? Paul was calling upon this church in Rome to strive with him, to fight together for something that was worth fighting for. What are you struggling with? What are you trying to do? Where are you trying to go? What do you, what do you feel like God has birthed in your heart that you're having a really hard time accomplishing? Who is coming at you full force? And you're not sure how to handle that situation. What causes you to think at night about all the things that you're worried about? What do you stay up at night worried and thinking about? What are you afraid of when you get into whatever situation? Who is somebody... See, Find someone in your life and say, I need you to fight with me. I need you to help me through this. I need you to pray for me and not just kind of casually every once in a while, but I want you to every day go to God with this situation because it's tearing me apart or I'm, I feel defeated because of it. Paul used his Christian brothers and sisters to help him work through what he was trying to accomplish that God was clearly putting on his heart. How is God using you? I want you to tell someone. What are you struggling with? I want you to tell someone and call them to struggle with it together. Clearly here, as Paul heads to Rome, he's preparing their hearts for his arrival. Roman church, I'm excited to come visit you. I'm going to be passing through and I need your help because something significant is going to be said in Spain. The gospel is going to be proclaimed in Spain, and I want you to send me there. Look at what's happening across the globe. Look at what is happening. Churches are supporting churches. I would love for you to support me too. I don't think that's an inappropriate thing to ask. Oftentimes we don't ask it. I think it's cool that Paul had the guts to actually say, I'm going to need your help financially and prayerfully. I need you. I can't do this alone. I think that there's too much loneliness in Christianity. I think that there's too much isolation in Christianity. I think that there's too much sitting at home behind closed doors and white picket fences. Do you realize that all of our stuff's in our backyard? No, nothing's out front where everybody is. We're all hiding in the back. My grill's in the backyard. Everything's in the back, private. We live our lives like that. It starts to get in a little bit deeper that everything should be, everything's private. Don't tell anyone anything. I got it all together. I can take care of me. I got me. I'll, I'll deal with me. You deal with you. I don't think that's how it's supposed to go. 
Paul knew exactly what he needed to do. He needed help on the mission that God had called him to, and he wasn't afraid to ask for it. I think that's really important for us to hear. I think it's really cool to see that Paul was very honest with his heart to the people that he loved dearly. Let's pray. God, as we live our lives, as people who belong to you, pray that we would not fear asking others for help. I also would ask that you would embolden us to share what God is doing in our lives with other people. Help us to not fear coming across as boastful or arrogant, but help us become compelled because it highlights you, it honors you, it gives people a glimpse of what you're doing in our lives. Stories of grace incite acts of grace. And God, I pray that we would see our lives as more than just ourselves, by ourselves, all alone. Just take care of me. Pray that they would live in community, in vulnerability with other people who we care for and care for us. Help us to avoid robbing our Christian brothers and sisters of helping, of the joy of helping us through our difficult times. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.